You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. So I had to record last week's intro to the show. A few days in advance, so I had to record before the March for Our Lives, which was amazing, before the Stormy Daniels interview on 60 Minutes with Anderson Cooper, which was all sorts of amazing. Both events I could have gone off on and unpacked at great length, but timing was off and I had to record something in advance. So I apologized to everybody who was tweeting me asking me, why didn't I talk about March for Our Lives, which I talked about in advance of the march last Tuesday, and it was because I had to record early. Same thing with the Stormy Daniels interview. Love the Parkland kids love Stormy Daniels, love Anderson Cooper and how he talked with Stormy Daniels, a porn star, and interviewed her and mentioned her career in a way that wasn't shaming or stigmatizing, that just accepted a career in porn, a career as that kind of sex worker, as something that someone who might be a parent and obviously as a human being with an, an intellect can do. Anyway, sorry to everybody who wanted last week's opening to be about those two things. Timing didn't allow for that. This week's opening, I'm reaching back a little bit. Joe Kennedy the third. Remember him? Robert F. Kennedy's his grandfather, so he's one of those Kennedys. Currently a member of the House of Representatives for Massachusetts, fighting fourth congressional district. And Joe Kennedy gave the Democratic response to Donald Trump's first State of the Union address back in January, which is 200 years ago in Trump time. It was a good speech. And he sent a powerful message, Kennedy did, not just about democratic unity, but also sent us a message about his ambitions. Politicians don't take on the unenviable task of delivering a so-to response unless they're thinking about running for higher office, unless they're thinking about running for the highest office. Marco Rubio, Bobby Jindal, both delivered GOP responses to State of the Union addresses when Obama was president before they ran in 2016. Not that their disastrous Soto responses helped either of those guys, of course, but giving the State of the Union response allowed both men to play at looking presidential. Kennedy, during his response, if you'll recall, he delivered his speech to a room full of cheering, clapping students. So he wasn't trying to look presidential. He was trying to look campaigning for presidential. We were supposed to have an easier time imagining Kennedy getting the nom in 2020 after watching that speech. And it worked. A lot of people were imagining Kennedy running for president after his State of the Union response. Joanne Reed of MSNBC included. It may have even crossed my mind. You can tell that Kennedy's State of the Union response landed because it inspired Fox News imbeciles to attack him. Tommy Lahren called Kennedy a nasty little ginger and a limp dick after watching his State of the Union response. So you know it was good if that's where Fox News personalities are going. All right. Kennedy just did a wide ranging interview with Ezra Klein, host of the Ezra Klein show, the force behind Vox.com. And it was a wide ranging interview, which of course can be said about all of Ezra's interviews. I'm a fan, never missed a wonky episode of the Ezra Klein show. And you can just listen as Kennedy furiously works all the democratic erogenous zones, resisting Trump, healthcare, jobs, reproductive freedom, immigration, jobs, education, jobs, LGBT rights, jobs, and on and on and on. Kennedy, who tries to sound like he's speaking with urgency but comes across as unctuous, 
his manic pixie dream candidate routine, that's merely off-putting. What struck me as disqualifying was Kennedy's answers to Klein's questions about legalizing recreational marijuana, which has already happened in the state Kennedy represents in Congress, Massachusetts. Let's listen to this exchange. I don't feel comfortable saying let's legalize heroin. I mean, that's not not where I am on this, but certainly on something like marijuana, um, I feel comfortable saying, well, we legalize that. We've legalized that in my home state. We've legalized Mm -hmm. it in D.C. There doesn't seem to be terrible problems. You have a a, a different line on this. I'm curious, Mm -hmm. given your concern about the consequences of the illicit trade, how you think about the question of keeping it illicit or beginning to, to, to open that up a little bit. So at least what is happening is under the law, you can regulate it, you can watch it, you can, you can keep some control over it. So this one's, um, this one's a tough one for me because it, it, my views are not, um, do not lie, exactly line up with my own state. And it's something that I am struggling with. I think, look, there's, when it comes to legalization of marijuana, if that is something that, um, society has decided that we want to do, um, fine. I think we've got to be really careful about what exactly that means and how we do it. So we decriminalized it um, when I was uh, in the court system, when I was trying cases, uh, or shortly thereafter, uh, if I remember the years right, uh, in Massachusetts. When we decriminalized it, it actually had a pretty big consequence for the way that um, Massachusetts, the prosecutors went about trying cases in terms of because an odor of marijuana was, at least initially, uh, because marijuana was an illegal substance, if you smelled it in a car, you could search a car. When it became decriminalized, you couldn't do that. So that was the way that we had the, the base case that prosecutors used to search cars that undercovered contraband, guns, knives, a whole bunch of other stuff. All of that got thrown out the window. That's not to say that's right or wrong, but that is to say when that went through a public referendum, which is how that law was passed, I don't think anybody had much thought to, you're actually going to change one of the foundational principles for law enforcement that we use in our court system. Did you catch that? Kennedy's beef with legalizing pot is that doing so, as they did in Massachusetts, it stopped cops from randomly pulling people over and searching their cars. And he cites this, the ability of the police to search basically anyone's car at any time, so long as the cop remembers to put, thought I smelled pot, in the incident report, as a foundational principle for law enforcement and something that voters didn't have in mind when they legalized recreational marijuana. Something, of course, voters have had to do in multiple states because our elected officials are too cowardly to do it themselves despite overwhelming public support for legalizing marijuana. What Kennedy is pining for here amounts to a stop-and-frisk program for people in cars or a stop-and-harass racial minorities in cars program. Stop-and-frisk, which is a program where police in New York City would randomly stop random people, the overwhelming majority of whom happen to be black or brown on the street, and search them was declared unconstitutional by the courts and all sorts of social science research found it to be wildly ineffective. And if it's not okay and not helpful to randomly stop people on the street and search their persons for no reason, it's not okay. And it is not helpful to randomly stop people in vehicles and search their cars for a subjective, bullshit, easily abused reason like something smells funny. And I'm sorry, Kennedy's claim that voters weren't aware that they were depriving law enforcement officials of the ability to harass suspected pot smokers is bullshit. Preventing cops from harassing people, primarily black and brown people who might have weed on them, was one of the top reasons I voted to legalize marijuana in Washington state in 2012 when we had the opportunity here. And I was not alone. In every state where there's been a vote, people have cited the abuse of marijuana statutes 
the racist abuse of marijuana statutes to harass black and brown people who are arrested disproportionately at disproportionately greater rates, despite the fact that they don't use marijuana at greater rates than white people, as one of the reasons to support decriminalization and legalization. Later in the interview, Kennedy falsely pits public health financing against marijuana legalization, that instead of talking about legalization, we should be talking about marijuana and substance abuse as a public health problem and funding public health programs that can help people who have problems with drugs. You know where you can get money to pay for public health programs? Taxing marijuana sales. We've raised half a billion dollars here in Washington state with a legal regulated marijuana market and a lot of that new public money is being spent on public health. These are not at war with one another. It's not like the choice is legal marijuana or public health fully funded. You can have legal marijuana and fully funded public health. The false choice. In conclusion, I personally, I don't know about Joy Ann Reed or anybody else, but I personally am no longer fantasizing about Joe Kennedy III running for president because Joe Kennedy III on the subject of pot and policing sounds a little bit too much like Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, for my comfort. All right, before we get to your calls, I want to let everyone in Arizona know that I am coming to the Scottsdale Museum of Contemporary Art this Thursday, April 5th, 7 p.m. Go to smoca.org and click on Out at Smoka, Dan Savage, to get tickets. They're 20 bucks. I am bringing Impeach the Motherfucker Already lapel pins to the event. Every ticket holder will be given an Impeach the Motherfucker Already lapel pin. They're gorgeous. They're enamel. They're subtle. You can wear them at work. It's going to be a moderated conversation. I'm looking forward to visiting Scottsdale and speaking with everybody about pride and whatever else the moderator and the audience wish to discuss. Again, go to smoca.org for tickets, April 5th, 7 p.m. See you there. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A, and on the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, twice as long and no ads. Kristen Mark joins us to talk about the results of her new research on how to maintain sexual desire in long-term relationships, how people do that. Kristen Mark, PhD, here to discuss on today's show. Hi, Dan, a 25-year-old male calling from Ireland. I have a question regarding a colleague at work sending me pornography. It started out with him sending me a short video, uh, my DMs on Instagram, and it was a pretty harmless uh, softcore video. But today he sent me a video while standing over me, asked if he could send me it through WhatsApp, which turned out to be a hardcore pornography video. This was at work during working hours, and I was pretty shocked that he didn't really react. In fact, he more or less laughed at me while I opened the video. Uh, This guy is otherwise actually a pretty nice guy, but I felt like I really needed to go to HR about the issue. The only worry I have is that this guy recently had a newborn baby, and I know that by going to HR, it's an uh, instant fireable offense, and I'm pretty tired. I don't want to do that to a guy who's just had a baby, but also I don't want this kind of thing to continue and happen to other co-workers. So I'm just looking for your advice on the particular issue about what I should do. Should I go to HR or should I go to him or should I just maybe let it slide and hope it doesn't happen again? A baby is not a get out of fireable offenses free card. Shouldn't be used as one. 
He didn't use it as one, though. He didn't say, oh, but I have a baby. Don't go to HR. You're concerned about the guy being unemployed right after he had a baby. If I were in your shoes, I would go to this guy and say, look, having a new baby in the house, people get no sleep. Sometimes when people aren't getting any sleep, their judgment is impaired. So I'm coming to you this one time, and I am telling you, don't fucking do that. You can't send porn via WhatsApp or any other way to a colleague in a work setting or even a non-work setting and hover over them while you, they watch hardcore pornography. That's a fireable offense. You just had a baby. You have a new baby at home. If I were the kind of person whose first impulse would be to take this to HR as opposed to address it with you directly, you would lose your job. Dude, smarten up. Get some more sleep. Remember when you're with your mates in the pub versus with your colleagues at work and keep it appropriate to the situation that you're in and the people that you're with. And then if it happens again, you go to HR. Hi, Dan. I am having sort of a dilemma. Uh, I recently went on a date with a guy that went really, really well. Um, It was a second date. Uh, He asked me, almost immediately the next day after our first date, if we wanted to do something together and I agreed and we went, it was supposed to be just a quick date doing uh, one of his passions, which is climbing. And it was really fun. And we ended up spending 12 hours together. We, you know, baked, we cooked, we had sex. It was awesome. We talked about what we were going to do together. He even helped me furniture shop on my computer. Uh, It was just really nice and it felt very promising. Um, And I texted him the next day saying, you know, have a great day at work. Thanks for, thanks for hanging out with me yesterday. And he responded and it went, it was good. Like he sent me a smiley face and sent a nice message and then nothing. (laughs) I mean, nothing. I messaged him the day after that saying, Hey, let's do some yoga together because we had talked about it and, dead silence. I definitely feel like he's ghosting me, but I've never had a date like this that just went this way, like that badly, where I really misread everything. I feel really crazy. I definitely thought he was into me. I mean, like 200% sure. Also, I have this fear that he's dead. It's surprising to hear from you. Yeah, I bet, because you called a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) We all just listened to your question about the mountain climber who ghosted on you and... (laughs) I, I assume at this point, if he pulled a Beauregard Jackson picket Burnside and fell off the Matterhorn, <laughs> that's a MAME reference for every, all the musical theater fans out there, that that you would know that by now if he were dead at the bottom of a crevasse somewhere. <laughs> yeah, so I really thought he did die, but um, about like 40 hours after I sent that message, he finally responded, but in a way that sounded like it was a response an hour later. Like he responded, like, I was like, Hey, do you want to go to yoga? And he was like, 40 hours later. Yeah. Oh my God. Sure. So did you go to yoga? What's the status of your relationship now? Um, I mean, good. Like I've seen him much more regularly. It's really crazy. I actually brought it up to him when I saw him. I was like, Hey, um, so like, it's very casual. I was like, Hey, so like, it's kind of strange that, uh, you don't respond right away. And he was like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like really bad at texting. 
<laughs> I was like, well, could you just uh, text sooner because it makes me go a little bonkers? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, I'll step up my game. And then he actually did. It was like the craziest thing. Oh, my God. That's wonderful. So you're you're still fucking this mountain climbing dude. He's probably got a great fucking butt and terrific legs as a result of all the mountain <laughs> yeah. climbing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love this. Story. This is a happy ending. This is a happy ending in every way. So yeah. a, lot, a lot of people out there, if they had texted someone they had a great weekend with or a great night with and they didn't hear back right away and <laughs> there was silence for 40 hours or however long it was and then it was this yeah, enigmatic response. Yeah, that's how response. you blow someone off. Yeah, a lot of people would be like, fuck you, fuck you. I'm not going to yoga <laughs> with know. you or touching your penis ever again. And, and I hope you fall <laughs> off the Matterhorn like Beauregard Jackson, Pickett Burnside and make Mame a widow. Not me. You go make Mame a widow. But you were willing to like yeah. give him another chance and then clearly state your needs. Yeah. It freaks me out, particularly yeah. in the context of the cultural phenomena right now of ghosting. Was he aware of that <laughs> cultural phenomena? And no, he seems to be unaware of like a lot of those kinds of things. Like <laughs> it seems like he's like he just hasn't dated in a long time, and so so he, he was, was just he was clueless as to how this might be read. By... Yes. I was like, you can't sleep with someone and then disappear, um, which is exactly what he did. So I'm really glad that he responded to my feedback. I am glad he responded to your feedback, too. And I'm glad you gave him a second <laughs> chance. Sometimes you do have to give people second chances. I get annoyed when people are really rigid about somebody puts a foot wrong and they're out, they're gone. Because who amongst us has not put a foot wrong or done something out of ignorance, not malice? And completely not aware of how it it might come across because you just didn't get the memo? Yeah, yeah. I think he just had no idea. So I've taught him something at least. You have. And sounds like you're going to go bake. Or What did you do on the top of the mountain? You listed all these things you did on the top of the mountain, including bake. How do you bake on top of a mountain? You take an easy bake oven up with you in a backpack? I think there wasn't baking at the mountain. We just, he, we climbed and then we went to his house. Oh, so I thought you climbed and then you baked a cake or something. It sounded <laughs> no. like you climbed and then you had all that you would need to Martha Stewart it up on the top of the mountain. You came down the mountain and then baked. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. We went to his, it was baking in his kitchen, so. Wow. Well, I'm glad. So that you have no problems. You do not need me. I have no problems. <laughs> I mean, my problem was like extreme when I called because I was, analyzing everything I'd ever done like like I can't maybe I said something like maybe I didn't bake well enough like I don't know what I did um and and then it was just like that he was completely clueless my so, scones were too crumbly yeah. <laughs> yeah that's what I, that my mind went to crazy places I had like I lost sleep over it I was like I don't know the world anymore I don't understand so Anyway. Well, we're glad for you. And because we got you on the phone and wasted your time when you didn't have a problem, if you have a problem in the future, your, <laughs> your call, call me back. If something else comes up in this relationship and you need my help, your call goes to the front of the queue and we'll take it right away. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Hey, Dan, I have a question about air travel etiquette and sex toys. My husband and I were unable to take a honeymoon right when we got married, so we're taking a much-delayed honeymoon in a few weeks, and I'm super excited. And I'd like to take my vibrator with me, but I don't know what proper etiquette is for packing it in a suitcase. I kind of dread the thought of, like, the TSA inspectors, like, looking through my luggage for drugs, opening up, and boom, there's my vibrator just there. Like, uh, should I, like, put it in a 
back or conceal it? Or should I just leave it there for the whole suitcase inspector world to see what's polite? Do they see these things all the time? Will, will they try to take it apart and see if I shoved weed inside? Like, what's polite? What's proper? And how do I pack my vibrator for my honeymoon? They see sex toys, TSA agents. They see them every day. My husband is Diamond Medallion on Delta. He flies a lot. I'm almost a million miler. They've seen all of ours. And they're used to it. And they have a sense of humor about it in my own personal experience. Here's what you want to do, though. Don't bury a dildo deep inside your bag or a vibrator or an e-stim unit or whatever else, whatever other kind of sex toys you're traveling with. Don't bury them deep inside in the hopes that they'll be obscured. The x-ray is going to find your dildo or vibrator. And if it's an irregular looking sex toy, which is a expression that I heard come out of a TSA agent's mouth, if it's an irregular looking sex toy, they're going to want to have a look at it. And you're not going to want them to have to turn your bag upside down and dump everything out at that moment to find your vibrator and have a look at it. So pack it right on top so that if they do need to take a look, the vibrator in your bag, it's sitting right there when they zip it open right on top for them to have a peek at. And they will close your bag right back up. And a lot of people bitch and complain and moan about the TSA and TSA agents. And there are some bad ones out there. There are tens of thousands of TSA agents at work every day in the United States. Some of everybody is shitty. So some of those people are going to be shitty and people that have bad experiences. But my own personal experiences with TSA agents, professionals and chill. And the ones who've been on the job for more than a week, they've seen everything. Hey, Dan. This is a straight married woman in a major East Coast city. I uh, went out with a bunch of friends this past weekend. Uh, we had some friends, some visitors in town, and we went to go dancing. Um, we did some drugs that made us want to dance. And we went to this like fun dance club that we've been to a few times before. And turned out that it was LGBT night, LGBTQ night. We didn't really realize that until we were already there and dancing and we just decided to stay, um, which I felt a little conflicted about, felt a little bit like we were sort of invading um, a space for that these people had created for themselves because all of us were straight. Most of us were in couples, um, but it was really fun. We were dancing and I ended up getting approached by this like adorable girl and she asked me if I was single and if I was gay and I told her that I was married, but by, which is not really true. Um, I've never, ever kissed a girl before or even really thought about it. We ended up making out, which my husband is totally cool with, um, and exchanging numbers. And now it's a couple days later and I don't really know what to do. She, like, I don't really see where this could go. Um, I don't know if I would ever want to like do anything more than make out with a girl and I am married and basically straight, but I keep thinking about her and I want to text her something, but I don't know if that's just kind of like fucking with her. There are definitely women out there who are annoyed when married, maybe by women show up in queer bars or queer spaces looking to pick up a lesbian or, or a bisexual woman, expecting that they can just march into a queer space as a married, cisgendered, opposite sex relationship, having perceived to be straight, moving through the world, maybe self-identifies as straight as you do, and just expect that the universe or the queer community owes them a same-sex experience and that you are entitled to go to the lesbian store and pick up a lesbian as a straight-ish married lady. 
That's not what went down in this case. You went to this bar. It happened to be queer night. You hung out. Straight people are allowed in queer bars. Straight people are in regular bars, mostly straight, regularly, usually straight bars on queer night. You hung out. Somebody approached you. You didn't blow up. You didn't act like a homophobe. You just let that person know, that woman know, that you were there with your husband, that you were married, and you were inspired at that moment by a brand new experience of same-sex attraction to tell her that you were maybe bi. And then she opted in. Then she wanted to make out with you. She wanted to exchange phone numbers with you. She is down for you, for who you are and how you are situated. So take yes for an answer. This isn't you feeling entitled to run down to the lesbian store and pick up a lesbian. This is you were in a queer space. A queer person approached you. You gave that queer person the information that was relevant that they might need to make an informed decision about whether they wanted to continue to pursue you. And this person obviously wishes to continue to pursue you. So you can allow yourself to be pursued without guilt. So return her text messages. Tell her who you are straight. You've never actually been with a woman before, but you are very curious, particularly about her. Maybe this is her passion. Maybe this is her hobby. Maybe this is the kind of outside sexual contact that she's permitted in the context of her committed relationship that for all you know, she is in right now. Or they have an open relationship and her girlfriend is fine or her wife is fine with her occasionally picking up somebody else who is themselves in a committed relationship and doesn't therefore present a threat to their relationship. You don't know what's going on with her and there's only one way to find out. I could speculate endlessly. There's only one way to find out for sure what's going on with her and that's to continue to speak with her. Hopefully with your husband's consent and awareness, have you clued him in to this? Another thing you're going to have to discuss with this woman if you do proceed to some sort of beyond making out contact with her is what role your husband expects to play in this. Maybe she's up for a sexual adventure involving the both of you. Maybe she's by herself or maybe she's just interested in you and you alone and you solo at some point for a night, for a weekend. How's your husband going to feel about that? You also need to have a conversation with him about what he's comfortable with, not just a conversation in your head about what this woman may or may not be comfortable with when she's already clearly communicated to you with her tongue that she is comfortable with you and the situation that you're in. Hey, Dan, by female calling. I'm in a six year monogamous relationship. And of course I want to fuck other people, not because our sex life isn't great because it is just, you know, that, that energy with new people is so strong. Um, and my partner and I have talked about it on and off for the six years that we've been together and like I plan on spending the rest of my life with him but uh, here's the thing so if I were just a fully evolved human and fine I would be totally cool with him fucking other women but it just turns my stomach into a knot thinking about it which is so hypocritical because I want to fuck other men and other women and I might be going away all summer and it could be a possibility that we open things up while I'm away. So I'm just curious what your pointers are for like facing that jealousy and processing it and like being a good human <laughs> in a monogamish situation. I'm always encouraging people to know themselves, to figure out what it is they want, what it is they're capable of. Uh, and what their preferred relationship model might be. And 
you know, if you're incapable of honoring a monogamous commitment, if that's something that you learned about yourself over the course of your first few relationships, and it can sometimes take time and error to figure that out because the culture bullies us all into making monogamous commitments that we may not be able to keep because the culture tells us that monogamy means love and monogamy is what good people do and we all want to be in love and feel capable of loving someone in return and we all want to be good people. So a lot of us who aren't capable of honoring a monogamous commitment wind up making those monogamous commitments. If what you discover about yourself over the course of your personal relationships is that you can't and shouldn't make that monogamous commitment, then don't going forward. What you've discovered about yourself or what you know about yourself, congratulations, is that you would like to have sex with other people, men and women, but you don't want to let your partner do the same because you're too jealous. There is a solution. There is a workaround for that. That's called being in a cuckold femdom relationship where you have liberties and freedoms that your partner does not. But if your partner isn't a cuckold and he isn't submissive and doesn't want to be in a femdom cuckold relationship, that solution isn't going to work for you. So your options are to open the relationship up for yourself and for him and to stare down your jealousy. It'll help to remind yourself that just as you're capable of having sex with someone else without feeling any less attracted to or in love with your partner, he is capable or should be capable of doing the same. Often jealousy is rooted in fear. Sometimes it's rooted in a desire to control someone else and it can be abusive. Often though, it is rooted in fear and fear of the unknown. What will happen if I allow my partner to be with someone else? And the only way for your partner to prove that they can be with someone else and not feel any less attracted to you or in love with you, any less committed to you, is for them to go off and be with someone else and return home and be just as in love with you, just as committed to you as they were before they slept with someone else. So sometimes the only way through the particular kind of jealousy that is blocking you right now, that you're experiencing right now, is to bite the fucking bullet and move through it, to, to have the experiences, to allow your partner to show you that they can fuck someone else and come home to you and love you and love you just as intensely, if not more intensely, because being with you now also means they have this freedom that they didn't have and they have to credit you and credit the relationship for that in the same way that you can run off and fuck somebody else and feel just as intensely for him and just as in love as you are right now with him. Those are really your options. Put cuckold femdom on the table. See how he reacts. Maybe it's what he's always wanted and been afraid to ask for, but probably not. Probably not what he wants. Very few men actually do want that. I want to conclude by saying if it's good for the gander, it's got to be good for the goose. If it's going to be open for you, it has to be open for him. There are lots of people out there in partly open relationships where one person gets to go do X and the other person doesn't go do X. Not because they don't get to, because they don't want to. Some people wish to have sex with other people besides their partners and are lucky enough to be partnered to people who – can allow for that, aren't threatened by that, but feel no particular need to have sex with other people themselves. That would be a little bit like winning the lottery for you in, in the circumstance that you're in. But it has happened. Some people look at that and think, oh, that's unfair. She has sex with other people. He doesn't. But the filter through which we should look at that is, are they both doing what they want and getting what they want? And if what she wants is sex with other people and that doesn't bother or upset him and what he wants is only sex with her and he's still getting that and he's not upset, then it works for you guys. What can seem unbalanced or unfair or not egalitarian to an outside observer can be experienced by both people in a relationship is very fair. So it's sort of a cuckold style without the cuckold gloss, without the humiliation, without the control, without the dominance, just with one person free to and the other person not unfree, just without a desire to. 
Hi, Dan. I'm a 31-year-old cis woman living in the Rocky Mountain West. I've been with my husband for four years, married for one. Um, he had an injury several years ago that required surgery and a metal plate. For the past two months, he had increasing pain from the plate to a point where he could barely make it through work and had to lie in an armchair whenever he was home. I took up the slack on care of our home life. He thankfully had surgery a week ago to remove the hardware and is recovering and feeling a lot better. The problem was that I was getting super burnt out while we were waiting for the surgery. I would be at work all day, then come home and take care of him and shoulder all the household responsibilities. I would still go out and do activities on my own, but I felt like being at home became a relentless series of demands. He also found that smoking weed was the best way to manage the pain. I'm very happy he didn't get into any trouble with opioids, um, but it got old having him be high all the time. Our sex life, understandably, also tanked for that time. I love my husband very much and consider myself a compassionate and supportive wife. I did everything I could for him while he was down and out, but I got so exhausted by the end. I tried to do self-care as well and reach out to friends, but I really fundamentally missed my loving, fun, hardworking, and helpful partner. I wanted to receive affection and support from him, feel close to him again, and just get laid. Having those feelings also made me feel like kind of an asshole. So I realized that marriage is a long journey together and this kind of thing will happen again. And I know that he would step up to take care of me without hesitation. What I'm asking advice for is how to best manage those burnout feelings when marriage is at least hopefully temporarily not going how we'd like. Um, how can I lovingly carry a load like that without getting so ground down? Sickness and health. Over the life of a marriage, multi-decade, long, long term, in it till the end, marriage, there are going to be times when your partner is down, down for the count even, and the final count at some point. There will be the end of the relationship. If you do make it till death do you part, that's going to be a long protracted process in most cases. So what you know now after having had this experience is that you really missed your healthy partner. And of course you did. And of course that makes sense. And you were ground down by the responsibilities and the burden of taking care of him. And while you reached out to friends uh, and you still got out of the house and did a little bit of self-care and managed to wedge in some time to pursue your own interests and feel independent and not that this was a 24-7 trap, work and home and work and home, you now know that you need more support in a circumstance like this, more practical support. What you tell yourself in the moment is that it will not always be thus unless it's terminal. It will not always be thus and I'm not going to hold tight to the resentment. It's what people with small children in the house have to tell each other. It's what people who are doing the long distance thing for school or work have to tell each other. Right now it's not great. Soon it will be better. We will get back to that place where I'm healthy or we're in the same city or our kids aren't so young and dependent and we're not so exhausted and you just have to look each other in the eye every once in a while and say acknowledge that it sucks right now without anybody having to feel bad. Of course, he didn't choose to be injured, didn't choose to be sick. But just that acknowledgement, like, yeah, this is hard and I appreciate what you're doing and we're going to come out the other side and not cling to the resentment. But what you know, your particular circumstance, even with the self-care you managed to wedge in, the responsibilities at home were crushing. So when you face this in the future, when you reach out to friends, you need to reach out to friends with an ask for some practical assistance in the house. If you have the means, you can pay for a little practical assistance in the house for a house cleaner. Not for the rest of your lives if you don't want to have a housekeeper for the rest of your lives. You don't want somebody sorting through your dirty sheets. But 
for the couple of weeks or couple of months or six months when one of you is working through a, a, an illness or an injury to have that additional practical support. I think that's clear. It's clear from your recent experience that having to bear the full load of the home front, not just providing him with the emotional support that he needed, but also taking care of everything else was too much for you. So take that off yourself, however you can, calling in friends, asking for help, not just asking friends to take you out and show you a good time and pretend like you're not in this circumstance, but to pitch in. People want to pitch in. People want to help in that way when somebody is sick or injured. And if, again, you have the means, hiring someone to do some of that practical help. But the most important part in my experience, when somebody is sick or injured, we've gone through that. When there are young kids in the house, we've gone through that. Long distance, we've even gone through that where I was on the road for a very long time. So look at each other and say, it sucks right now. And it's no one's fault. But there's a light at the end of the tunnel. A time is coming when we won't be in this particular sucky circumstance anymore. Hi, Dan. I am a bisexual woman in San Francisco. And I just went on an amazing date with an amazing guy who seems absolutely perfect. But when I got home, I looked on his Facebook page and I found that he has a girlfriend, a serious long-term girlfriend. And he did not bring her up, so I'm going to assume that they're monogamous. And I've been cheated on before. I know that it's a profoundly shitty feeling to be cheated on. So obviously I'm not going to continue with him. But my question for you is this. Should I reach out to his girlfriend and tell her, should I stay in my lane and just let it be? Or should I you know, let her know so that she can move on from this piece of trash? You're making kind of a giant leap. If he is cheating scum, you'd think he'd go to a little bit more effort to hide his girlfriend from the other women he might be dating. I think your first move should be to ask him, were you going to tell me you had a girlfriend? Followed you on Facebook. You accepted my follow or your Facebook is open. And of course I checked out your Facebook profile. Everybody does. And there's a girlfriend there. Don't you think that you should tell me that? And it could be that he's going to respond with, yeah, that's something that I tell people on the second or third date that I'm in an open relationship. My girlfriend's down, but at least for the first date, I like people to get to know me without knowing that because there is a stigma. I don't think that's the right move. I think people who are in open relationships should be completely upfront about it out of the gate. But I can understand why some people hold that back, particularly men in open relationships who often say it's harder for them to find women who are interested in dating a man in an open relationship or seeing a man in an open relationship compared to the women in their lives who just have to snap their fingers and dick falls from the sky. Increasingly, there are so many more people, straight people in open relationships, practicing ethical non-monogamy that I don't think that that flies anymore, that desire to withhold. But if you are going to withhold that information as a dude that you're in an open relationship, you do have to disclose that before you have sex the first time. Go on a date, hang out, let somebody get to know you. Okay, maybe that gets a pass. Getting in someone's pants, sticking your dick in that person without disclosing that you're in a long-term committed relationship with someone else not okay. Doesn't get a pass. So caller, you're making a giant assumption here, a giant leap from this date to finding the girlfriend to he's trash. He might be trash. Girlfriend might not know. My hunch though is it's an open relationship. They both date other people. 
probably what you're going to hear from him when you tell him. And then you're going to have a conversation about why didn't he tell you before you went on this date that he was in an open relationship. And your reaction when you discovered his girlfriend on his Facebook profile, which he made no effort to hide from the world, and you are in the world, so he made no effort really to hide it from you, it's a pretty good indication why he held that information back. He was afraid of being judged, afraid of being shamed, afraid of being perceived as a cheating piece of shit. That doesn't justify, in my mind, the choices that he made. I think he should have been up front with you before the first date or on the first date. So you wouldn't have had this unpleasant experience because you went on this first date with someone and you made the completely reasonable assumption that he was available and unencumbered because you're on a date and he wasn't. So you're angry that he allowed you to make this completely reasonable assumption that was not true. I can understand why you're angry. Take it to him first. My hunch is she knows. So you can't white knight it and ride in and save her from the asshole. And the trash, because in her eyes, she, he probably is an asshole, probably isn't trash. In yours, however, because he withheld that information that arguably, and I, I believe you did have a right to, maybe he is trash. Trash for you, but probably not trash for her. Hi, Dan. I'm a cisgender female. Um, I identify socially as straight, and um, I've explored different things prior to agreeing with that identity. But here's my issue. After a horrible marriage, um, which ended in divorce about a year later, I met a man online who I feel I'm completely in love with. It was kind of quick, and I knew that quickly. I'm extremely attracted to him physically, um, sexually. He's the best partner that I've ever had. I just adore everything about him. Something happened last week. Um, We were talking and just, you know, exploring things about, you know, the future. And he says that I should be with a professional athlete or a doctor or something like that, like suggesting that I was slumming. And he said, everybody knows it. And I guess that was referring to like my friends and his friends or whatever. So when he said this, I told him that, you know, that was really hurtful. He's a truck driver. He owns his own trucking company. I never thought twice about it. It doesn't bother me at all. I'm a professional. He makes a living. I make a living. So I was never thinking of any of this social status stuff until he brought it up. And now that he did, it's making me feel stupid. Like he's telling me I'm slumming and I don't interpret that as a compliment. So... Now, after being monogamous with him for over a year, I'm like, should I go back to dating other people, put myself back on the market? Um, I, I was looking forward to our plans to make a life together, but I don't settle for less. And if he's basically saying to me that that's what I'm doing, I have a problem agreeing with that. So I'm interested in your thoughts. Um, around this? Um, Is there something underlying that, you know, just caused him to say these type of things that maybe I should just, you know, ignore or brush over? Or is this something that I should take as like a red flag, a signal that, you know, maybe this is something that is not going to be a long time investment that I wish it would be? You're too good for me. Could be one of those little white lies that people tell. It is one of those little white lies that people tell when they want out of a relationship. It's not you. It's me. I'm not ready for a relationship right now. I'm just not over my ex. 
These are things that people say to spare the feelings of people that they're going to break up with or just did break up with or in the process of breaking up with. That's probably not what's going on here, though. I suspect that's not what's going on here. It sounds like your guy may be expressing some insecurity about the fact that you have a higher status job than he does. And I assume you make more money than he does. And for some men, that's really hard because what the culture tells men is that they're supposed to have the higher status job. They're supposed to make more money, bring more money home and their value as men, their, their, their self-worth, their self-conception, their concept of masculinity is all wrapped up in really that kind of script that's about dominance and power and a man who's in a relationship with a woman who has more power than he does can wind up feeling really kind of off kilter or judged. Even if no one's judging him, he can also come to believe that his wife or girlfriend is looking down her nose at him. Even if she isn't because insecurity does that insecurity prompts us to see patterns where none exist to, to see slights where none were intended. And that could be what's going on. I suspect that what it, and that could be what's going on. I suspect that is what's going on. And you should have a conversation with him about that. And this is a conversation that a lot more opposite sex couples are going to be having with each other going into the future. Quoting from John Marcus's piece in the Atlantic last summer, why men are the new college minority. Where men once went to college in proportions far higher than women, 58% to 42% as recently as the 1970s, the ratio has now almost exactly reversed. Women are going to college in much greater rates than men now. And increasingly moving forward, women are going to have more power in the workforce, higher status jobs. There can be a lot more women out there making more money than men. And if the only way to have an opposite sex relationship is for these women, the, the majority of women who make more money than the majority of men to somehow all compete for the higher status male, not because necessarily they want a higher status male, but because they don't want to deal with the fallout from some lower status male, quote unquote, lower status male feeling insecure or emasculated in the relationship. That's just not going to be an engine for much happiness or many successful committed long-term relationships. So you need to have a conversation with your guy about how your relationship is going to work and how status works and how power works because it doesn't have to be tied to income and it doesn't have to be tied to titles and jobs that there are other ways of identifying and regarding each other as powerful. There are other forms of status that if you acknowledge them and draw them out, salve his ego. Hopefully in the future we'll have fewer men who need salving of ego going forward. But this guy in the relationship you're in right now sounds like he needs it. So it can come down to a conversation when you have to be like, yeah, I make more money than you do because of the fields we went into, but you're a business owner. You have a trucking company. You have more power in your company than I do in mine. If that's true, if you don't have your own business, if you're not the CEO, if, if you can be hired and fired and he can't because he runs his show. He has more status and more power in that way, even if he makes less money than you do. And you probably can identify other things in your social life or your personal life, in your hobbies and your interests where he's better at X than you are. And you should also identify during those conversations the things that you're better at than he is and know more about and are more capable. Maybe diffuse the whole who's on top who has more status, who has more power convo, just by acknowledging that 
Power and status is fluid. Power and status is a spectrum that one person can have more power in X area and the other person can have more power in Y area. And that's okay. And it's about complementing each other and building each other up and not measuring yourselves against each other. He may need you to place the breadcrumbs on the path that allows him to stay in this relationship. So he can find his way clear to feeling better about being with a woman who makes more money than he does and has a more impressive title than he does. Good luck. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old gay guy living in New York City with my boyfriend. We've been together since we were 19, and we're still very much into our relationship. But as you might have guessed, uh, we're kind of curious about what it would be like to be with other guys, and we've been talking about opening our relationship, and we're just in the process of doing that. The thing is that last summer, I found out that my boyfriend was seeing another guy a few times a week throughout the summer, and he was keeping it a secret from me. And the hooking up part about it didn't really hurt me as much as all the lies around it. And since then, I'm able to get over that feeling of hurt and anger. And we both have really come together, and our relationship is in a better place than it was before. Um, So now that we're talking about opening our relationship, my boyfriend has brought up the idea of wanting to have a threesome with the guy he cheated on me on with. I really do not like all the negative and difficult emotions I have associated with him, so the thought of doing anything with him really scares me. On the other hand, I have largely gone over all that and wouldn't mind having a threesome. My boyfriend is more shy than I am, and I feel like this could be a good opportunity to start having sex with other people. Still, I'm not sure if I should be okay with doing this, and I don't know what to do about my boyfriend who keeps bringing it up despite how uncomfortable I am with the idea. So my question is, am I hanging on to the past too much, or is it legitimate for me to say that this is too much to ask? A part of me thinks my boyfriend is just being selfish. How can I get him to understand how difficult this is for me? So when your relationship was closed, when you guys were monogamous, your boyfriend saw someone else for sex twice a week all summer long and lied to you about it. And now that you guys are going to practice ethical non-monogamy, both of you, he wants to have a three-way with the person that he cheated on you with twice a week for roughly 12 weeks over the course of last summer. One of the things you need to have a successful open relationship is good communication. And to have good communication, you kind of need a decent, slightly above average emotional intelligence quotient. You need a good emotional IQ. And your boyfriend's inability to see why this particular guy might not be the right guy for you two to have your first three-way with leads me to believe that he doesn't have the emotional IQ that he needs to be in a successful open relationship where he's able to empathize with his partner and put himself in your shoes and understand how you might feel and make choices accordingly, make choices that leave you feeling safe and prioritized. And this choice isn't going to make you feel either of those things. You've forgiven him. Maybe it's a little unfair, but this is often how people do it when they want to save the relationship. They forgive the cheater, but they hold on to a little resentment for the person that the cheater that they're forgiving cheated on them with. Maybe they even shift some of the resentment that rightly should be directed toward the cheater to the person that they cheated with. In the interest of saving the relationship, in the interest of the greater good, that transference sometimes needs to happen. Sometimes it is the thing that allows it's the patch that allows the program to continue to run and work and it's not perfect but there it is 
you also wrote me a letter. You didn't just call. You wrote in about your problem. And in the letter that you wrote to uh, Savage Love, my column, you indicated that you too, at 25, had moved to New York City. There are other faggots in New York City that you guys can have a three-way with. That The options aren't just this guy, this one other guy. He's not the only other gay guy in New York City who might be interested in a three-way with a couple of 25-year-olds. I promise you there are more. You say your boyfriend is shy and he feels comfortable with this person, obviously. This person he had sex with twice a week for a whole summer, lying to you. Yeah, obviously comfortable with that person. But you're not comfortable with that person, so that person is disqualified. Maybe it's on you then to go find a third. If your boyfriend is shy, you're going to have to be the extrovert to set up the three-way. You run your joint grinder account or your joint profile at whatever pickup app you guys want to use to find your particular ideal third, someone who represents a fresh start, not somebody who represents a lot of baggage and hurt from the past. The three-way and the opening up is about your future, your future together as a couple in an ethical non-monogamous relationship, reaching into your past, reaching back toward the unethical non-monogamy that your boyfriend had been practicing is not going to set the right tone going forward. Not the right move. Tell your boyfriend, absolutely not. Not this guy. Not ever. And then you two get out there with you taking the lead and find some other guy. All right, we're going to take a quick break from your calls because every once in a while we like to invite researchers or scientists onto the show to share with us the results of a new scientific study that they published for a little segment we call What You Got. Joining me by phone for this installment of What You Got, Kristen Mark, Associate Professor and Director of the Sexual Health Promotion Lab at University of Kentucky. Hey, Kristen. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. You? How's Kentucky? It is gloomy today. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. We're having a nice day in Seattle. So uh, enough with the pleasantries. (laughs) What do you got? Well, we have recently published a study that is uh, looking at how to maintain sexual desire in long-term relationships. And what did you find? Is it it hopeless? Right. No, actually. (laughs) Um, One of the questions that I just always get asked is, given that I'm a sex and relationships researcher, is how do I maintain the desire in my long-term relationships? And um, so we we wanted to answer that. And we reviewed uh, 63 articles and found that there are a variety of factors and not having sexual desire for your partner is not necessarily to be attributed to just not being that into them anymore. Um, that there's a lot of, a lot of pieces that feed into this that are sort of your individual level features, interpersonal, and also then societal level issues that can play in. So let me toss out some of my standard advice for couples who are facing this problem, maintaining sexual desire and how mm-hmm. to, to reinvigorate it. And of course this is stuff I just yanked out of my ass, but I want you to test it against what you know from looking at the research and the data. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so often when people tell me that they're like bored and they're not really having sex, I, I will tell them beginning of the relationship, it's very exciting and you don't know each other and you're taking all these risks and you're having to clear all these hurdles and obstacles. Um, and that gets your blood pumping. Like you're literally naked with someone you barely know. Uh, and it feels dangerous. Right. And if you're in an LTR, like nothing feels dangerous anymore. But you can, you know, artificially create new obstacles and hurdles for yourself that instill that sense of danger and take your breath away and feels risky. But you're going to have to do it together as a couple. For instance, 
standard advice people who listen to the show have heard me say this a lot of times agree that you're gonna have sex three times this week but not in your house not in your bed and one of you has to surprise the other with when and where so that if you see your spouse coming around the corner at your office and they're not usually in your office for any reason you know you're about to get fucked in the stairwell of your office building and that's exciting and then you'll <laughs> probably be excited exciting. to see your partner want to fuck them so with what you know from t- looking through the data and the research these 63 studies is that good advice or is that crap that's great advice, actually. That fits within a few of our um, a few of our findings, such as self expansion is really great for couples, and that means so doing things that you might not normally do, and knowing that your partner can contribute to your ability to do those things that you might not normally do. You also fed into kind of the responsiveness to partner, making sure that you're um, you know ready for up for anything. Um, you've talked about that with GGG, and so. That's a, a big part of it as well, an interpersonal factor. Um, also, your sexual compatibility, um, making sure that you are meeting each other's needs in a way that works for your partner. And that requires talking to your partner about sex. So an important part of sexual compatibility comes before you enter that long-term relationship, particularly, you know, it's right. crucial before you move in together with each other or marry each other or scramble your DNA together. People have it in their heads that they're dirty sex fiends if they prioritize sexual compatibility the same way they would emotional compatibility or goals around family or religion or uh, children. And sexual compatibility is hugely important. But if you're 10 years into a a relationship, it might be a little late to think about making sure you're on the same page. But that can also change over time, too. So you know, making sure that you're still continuing to communicate about this and not just assuming that your compatibility that you had in those early stages of the relationship still applies. Maybe one of you becomes more interested in some other things Mm. and you need to be open to that with your partner and talk about it with your partner. You got to be GGG. Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) For anything, of course, the the most important caveat, sometimes people who yell at me about GGG forget this caveat. Game for anything within reason. Nobody gets to shit in your mouth. Any other lessons for us, for couples out there who might be listening to these studies? Uh, Well, yeah, of course, unless, you know, (laughs) caveat to that caveat, unless you want someone to shit in your mouth, then go for it. Any other other pointers that you can offer people listening from the studies that you've studied? Yeah, expectations were really big in, um, in, in these studies. And having the expectation also that you're not always going to be on the same page with your partner in a long-term relationship. So, you know, our individual level desire ebbs and flows throughout our life, right? If you have two people with that individual level of desire that's ebbing and flowing, then inevitably you're going to see instances of desire discrepancy where you don't match one another. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. And so, acknowledging that and figuring out ways to work with your partner to make that okay and to make that not impact your satisfaction was was also important here. Important in those instances not to cling to resentment. That sometimes there'll be moments where you guys don't right. aren't in the same groove and maybe you you know, do a masturbatory assist, I call it. You help your partner if they're horny and you're not. Mm-hmm. Get off in an upbeat way, not a, oh, Jesus Christ, uh, i got to milk the cows way. <laughs> right, that's horrible. But you help yeah. your partner get off, and it's sort of like a rain check for a hotter, more involved sexual encounter in the future when you're both on the same page. Definitely, yeah. Or, you know, make your partner make it clear to your partner that you're all right with them masturbating by themselves too, if you're going to be sort of not super into it and that that can be a a level of sexual release that can be satisfactory for some people when they're being held over until their partner's in the mood. So in looking at all these studies, were there any that pointed to reasons why you just might want to pull the plug 
any of these studies about reigniting the spark or, or maintaining that spark in a long-term relationship, were there signs or indications of, of hopelessness where you should just pack up your junk and go? <laughs> well, we weren't looking at clinical couples, and I think maybe if we would have looked at the clinical literature, we might have had a little bit more um, of that. Here, we were looking at more what are couples doing right and what is it that we can learn from the couples who are able to maintain the satisfaction and desire in their long-term relationships. So um, we didn't have, I, I wouldn't say that any of our conclusions were related to definitely pull the plug, but some things like um, if you're not willing to talk about sex with your partner, or if your compatibility is completely off, or if you are completely dissatisfied, then yeah, these are um, opportunities to maybe reassess the situation. So give us quickly before we go, the top three things people do right. Okay, so I think the expectations are uh, one of the top things that people do right. If you go into a long-term relationship, understanding that it's going to be work and understanding that that work will be worth it if that's what you want, then uh, you're better off. Um, a second thing would be the uh, attraction to partner and being able to maintain autonomy with that attraction. So both maintaining your level of attraction to your partner and seeing things in them that you may not have previously noticed that can spark desire. Um, and then also making sure that you yourself feel attractive. So if you, um, you know, if you're maintaining a level of autonomy, that's allowing you to engage in the interests that you have. Um, this whole idea of to become one is absolutely a damper for desire. Um, two don't become one, two become two. And that's great. <laughs> so uh, I think that that's, that's another take home. And then another is to not ignore these more societal factors that we have playing into all of this, like the sexual power struggle that exists, especially in the context of heterosexuality mm. um, or like restrictive sexual attitudes and gendered expectations. And then those those societal expectations also play out in um, same, same sex relationships, too, like this idea of lesbian bed death. It's actually not unique to lesbians. Everyone has to has bed death. It's just lesbians have a name for it. And so. <laughs> I think, um, you know, this is acknowledging these more, these broader societal factors is also important. I want to highlight something translated out of sex researcher ease there. You said if you feel attractive and maintaining a level and a degree of autonomy, that can mean, you know, one of the things that can make you feel attractive is somebody else flirting with you. That can mean like some affirming attention from someone else, even if you have no intention of acting on it, even if you're never going to cheat, if you're in a monogamous relationship, some positive sort of vibes from others about how attractive you are can really make you feel attractive. And that maintaining a, a degree of autonomy includes a degree of autonomy around yourself as a sexual being who may be desired by others. And that's okay. And it's okay even to seek a little bit of that affirmation if you're going to take it home and plow that sexual energy into your partner. But there's a lot of people out there who think that, you know, once you're coupled, you're not allowed to be attracted to anybody else. And it's a, you've done something wrong if someone else is attracted to you. And they sort of uh, hamstring their own relationships, their own long-term relationships and their own sexual contentedness in that long-term relationship by, uh, by maintaining and enforcing these rules around now that you're with me and now that we're a couple, now that we're forever, nobody else finds you attractive and you're not allowed to seek out that kind of attention anywhere, ever. And if you do receive that kind of attention, you've done something terrible to us. Exactly wrong. Yeah, a couple of years ago, we we published a study about that actually about women's crushes on other people, and the overwhelming response from women was that actually, when I have a crush on somebody else, it actually can feed the desire in my relationship. 
when I know that I'm not going to act on it and when I don't feel threatened by it and I know my partner doesn't feel threatened by it. So those crushes on other people or those like feelings of attraction to other people, they can play a really positive role in a long-term relationship. A long-term committed monogamous relationship too. It, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Kristen Mark, uh, where can people who want to read the study find it and what's the name of it? So the study is called Maintaining Sexual Desire in Long-Term Relationships, a Systematic Review and Conceptual Model. Um, it's published in the Journal of Sex Research. In there, um, they have a annual review of sex research. And so it's published in that version in 2018. Kristen Mark, Associate Professor and Director of the Sexual Health Promotion Lab at University of Kentucky. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And the rest of you should be following Kristen Mark on Twitter at Kristen with a K underscore Mark. Thanks again, Kristen. Thank you. Hey, Dan. I am a 31-year-old male that is living in Florida. And a few weeks ago, you mentioned something about work spouses. And I think I have a relationship or did have a relationship like that. At my last job, I have a supervisor that I work with. And our relationship was very similar to work spouses. Uh, she was ma- She's married and I'm married, uh, but we would talk about things, um, nothing too intimate, but uh, about our relationships past, that sort of thing. And we were very close. Um, eventually, I left that job, but a few weeks before I left that job, uh, I admitted to one of my coworkers at the time that I may had had a little crush on her. After I left the job, I didn't really hear anything back from her for almost a year. Then recently, she appeared with her husband uh, at the new job that I'm working at, and we talked for a little bit and said we would text each other, whatever. Uh, We did, and I found out that one of the reasons why it took her so long is because she found out (laughs) about my little crush on her. And at the time, we both were going through rough stages, rough patches in our marriage. Um, My marriage is doing good now, thanks to counseling. Uh, Hers, I'm not too sure about. But... Now the situation has become awkward. Um, she is aware, and we talked about it, and she admitted that, you know, if I had admitted it at that time, that there may have been something there, and we might have ended up doing something that we would have regret. But we both agreed that it was probably a good thing that it didn't happen, but now all the cards are on the table pretty much. Um, my wife does know about it, and she is okay with us, you know, talking or texting. But if we were to meet for a sit down, like face to face, she would feel more comfortable having it be like a double date of some sort, which I'm completely fine with as well. It's just now, you know, we don't really talk that much. Now it's just awkwardness. And I feel like it's just going to be like that. That's just part of the deal because I couldn't keep my big mouth shut. So uh, any advice? A couple of things you don't mention. Your marriage, which is in a better place now, which makes it sound like it went to heaven, but is it open? If it is not open, why do you want to be swapping text messages or hanging out or having face-to-face time with this woman that you had a crush on at your last job? seems to me that you wouldn't want to do those things, that you wouldn't want to lay temptation in your path or rush toward temptation or reignite the crush that you had on this woman because you are with the person you're with. You are in your marriage and it's better now thanks to counseling. She's in her marriage and maybe they're just starting to dig out from under. Maybe they're just starting to get to counseling. But for the moment, she is married unless you're both in open relationships and you both think that you would be good 
secondary partners or play partners and both your spouses feel the same way, there's no reason for you to pursue any form of contact with this woman. Any form of contact with this woman is potentially destructive to your marriage that you've worked hard on repairing and potentially destructive for her marriage that whether they're working hard on repairing it right now or not, they're still in it. Leave her alone. Set her down and back out of the room. And she should do the same with you. Also, best practices, you got a crush on somebody at work and it's an inappropriate crush and not one that you can ever act on or realize because you're married and they're married. Shut your fucking mouth. It's only going to complicate things if you confide that in someone who you know damn well is probably going to gossip about it and it's going to get back to the object of your crushy affections. And squick your relationship and complicate it going forward. And not just complicate your relationship with your workmate on whom you have an inappropriate crush, but complicate your relationship with your spouse, potentially their relationship with their spouse. Crushes that can never be acted on or realized. Keep them to yourselves. Let it play out in your imagination when you're masturbating. But keep your mouth shut about it at work. And what is it you want exactly in the face-to-face time? What are your hopes and dreams here that might come out of this? Just a really great friendship? Something more? Seems to me it's playing with matches in a room with two inches of gasoline on the floor. If you want to save your marriage, you don't want to be facilitating a relationship or establishing a relationship with your inappropriate work crush. You want to be stepping around that relationship. Keeping it at arm's length, not having a text relationship with that person, not having face-to-face time solo or double datey with that person. Hi, Dan. I'm a late 20s female. I recently broke up with my ex-boyfriend of a year. Um, It was a really emotionally healthy relationship, and we were very close. Um, But I had realized that although I loved him very deeply, my feelings of attraction had changed and I no longer saw him as a romantic partner. I saw him more as a really great friend, like a best friend. I didn't want to have sex anymore and I began to feel guilty about this. It took me a while to realize that this was my feelings. And so once I figured it out, I decided I had to tell him right away. And so that initiated a breakup, which was really hard to do. Um, but I did it with as much compassion as possible. When he returned my things, we exchanged letters, and he had written me a very compassionate letter explaining his feelings about the relationship, and I thought that was that. But about a month later, which was last week, I received a really, really long and angry text from him. He was venting about how he felt about the relationship, using very angry and insulting terms and metaphors and He said that he felt like I used him and that our relationship and trust was a lie. I knew he was coming from a source of pain, but his anger towards me was really shocking. He didn't indicate that he wanted a response from me. I thought he was just venting his feelings, but I decided to write him back a few days later to tell him that I appreciated him sharing his feelings with me and that I was very sorry that I hurt him and wish I knew of a way to have hurt him less. That wasn't what he wanted. He he then sent me a more, even more scathing email saying how vacant and con- inconsiderate I was and that I addressed nothing he wrote from the previous exchange. 
and that the whole relationship we had was just him talking to himself. He indicated that he wanted to know what I was thinking, but I told him directly when we broke up my reasoning. My feelings shifted from romantic love to friendship love, and I don't know why. There's nothing else I can tell him. This person that I considered my best friend and miss terribly seems to hate me now. I'm not sure if I res- should respond to his last communication because it seems like I'm not going to be able to give him what, his wa- what he wants. And so I'm wondering what I should do. It sucks to know that someone out there that you love or loved is angry. But sometimes people, when a relationship ends, they, to protect their egos, have to allow themselves to get angry. And sometimes they inflate or exaggerate or invent things to be angry about. And there's really nothing that you can do about it except to allow them to sit with their anger. You don't have to show up to be abused. You don't have to participate in a long conversation with your ex about what an asshole you are, what an asshole they're now desperately trying to convince themselves you are so they don't feel quite as bad about being dumped by you. He's angry now doesn't mean he'll be angry forever. A lot of people want to stick that dismount when a relationship ends. They want to to be amicable and they want to be friends coming out of it and they want to still be able to access each other and what they enjoyed about each other and the love and support and sometimes the history that they shared together. They want to be able to tap into that and you can't always get what you want, at least initially, at least at the outset. Sometimes you have to go into the wilderness for a while. Sometimes you have to be apart and away. And it sounds like you two did initially the amicable breakup thing and it was a strain for him and he snapped. Now he's doing the angry breakup thing that he may need to do as long as he's not violent, as long as he's not stalking you, so long as he's not disparaging you or fucking with you in any other way, let him be mad at you. That's part of his process. Unpleasant as that might be, irrational as that might be, let him. And it'll burn out. If he's a good and decent and kind and generous and loving person, he will come to see that He's embarrassing himself right now. He will come to see in time that his anger was not justified and that he was unfair to you at the end of your relationship. Maybe in a year or two years or five years when you bump into each other in an airport or a bar, he'll apologize and you guys can reconnect then. But right now, he needs to be angry. To cauterize this emotional wound, he needs some fiery anger. You really don't have any choice but to let him have it. The only choice you do have is whether you participate in it, whether you have a conversation about what an asshole you are. You don't have to have that conversation with him. Just say, look, I'm sorry that you feel this way. I'm sorry that you got hurt. I'm sorry if I hurt you. And then radio silence. Hey, Dan, I have found myself over and over again in this situation where you know, the first time that I'm making out with somebody or whatever that like they start choking me or like, you know, I'm kind of a big girl. So they start like, you know, grabbing my, my belly or like other things that are just like, you know, are biting me really hard things that like I'm okay with, but like, I really feel like that these people should ask first, but they don't want to ask and they don't ask. And so I'm wondering like, what should I do in this situation? Like, Because like, I want to say, hey, you know, that was like slightly uncomfortable or like, 
you should have asked first, but like, then I feel a little bit too uncomfortable myself to do that. And like, you know, in the, in the heat of the moment, like if I'm being bitten or, or something, you know, that's like really sensual, like it's hard to know how to respond and how to deescalate in that situation. So what I'm asking for is a script. What can I say? What can other people say? And can you just make a public service announcement about asking for consent for these things, which not everyone considers to be a big deal, like choking or whatever, because it is hot, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not denying that, but like consent needs to be established. It's a weird position to be in. Oh, you choked me and I liked it and it was hot, but what I didn't like and what wasn't hot and kind of pulled me out of the moment was that you didn't get my consent in advance of pulling a move that a lot of people wouldn't like. You lucked into pulling it on someone who did like it. But what you communicated to me at that moment is the consent, your partner's consent, kind of doesn't matter to you. And so what else are you going to try? What else are you going to pull on me without any regard for how I might feel about it? And even though you lucked into a situation where the moves you were making were moves I enjoy, you're not always going to be so lucky. And there could be traumatized women in your past and traumatized women in your future. Are you cool with that? Because I don't want to be with the kind of guy who's cool with, for his own reasons, because he's sexually selfish and inconsiderate, fine with traumatizing people. Didn't traumatize me. I like those things. But now I have my doubts about you, the kind of person you are, and how you treat women. Again, even though you lucked into treating me the way I like to be treated. But that was just the odds. Next time, verify. That's what I would say to him. I would also reemphasize for the hundred millionth time the four magic words. What are you into? That all same-sex couplings begin with. Two dudes are going to go to bed together. First time. They get to consent. They're clearly into each other. They're going to have sex. They're making out in the bar. They're headed home. At some point, one or the other or both have to say, dude, what are you into? It's very empowering at that moment to get to rule anything in, rule anything out. And we're forced to say it. It's not like we're highly evolved sexually. We have to say it because we can't make assumptions. We can't default to vaginal intercourse, PIV, because we have two P's and two A's and there's no default setting. We have to have a conversation. And at that moment, people will say, I'm not into rough sex or I'm not into anal. I'm into this. I'm into that. And that's what straight people should do. Take the four magic words. What are you into? And at that moment, you could say, he could say, Really kind of like it rough and tossing people around and biting and gently choking. Please, people choking is risky and dangerous. We've talked about this a lot on the show. Uh, be very careful. And then you can say, oh, my God, that's my favorite thing. Rough sex. I'm down. What are you into? Rough sex. Oh, great. Me too. What are you into? Rough sex. Yeah. At some point, maybe in the future, at least initially in a relationship, I'm not comfortable. Like a lot of rough moves. Communicate. A lot of straight people out there do communicate, but a lot don't because they're not required to because the biology and mechanics and plumbing don't force them to have that conversation about consent and about what are you into. And the what are you into conversation is a conversation about consent. But all same-sexers have that combo, have to have that combo, can't have same-sex without that combo. So the script I would suggest for you going forward, if this keeps happening, you can initiate the what are you into in advance, you can ask that question and suss the guys out. 
You're not required in the moment if the move someone is, is making, if the, what he's pulling is stuff that you happen to enjoy, you can just roll with that. But afterwards, you might want to check in and say, wow, you lucked out. That like varsity level kind of rough sex move, I dig that. But you didn't know that I would dig that? And you have to have been in circumstances in the past where you tried that on a woman who wasn't into it? And the odds that a woman who wasn't into it would just play along and defer and be miserable and happy and feel unsafe? Really high. Are you down with making women feel that way? Because I don't want to be with someone who's down with making women feel that way, who doesn't care about how the woman feels in the moment. I enjoyed it. Not all women would, though. So that's a conversation you and I are going to need to have right now if you ever want to get in my pants again. I'm calling about episode 596, the gentleman who's dating the woman who believes crazy conspiracy theories. Um, I had a slightly different take than Dan did, because it's really frustrating to deal with somebody like that. I don't want to be in your situation. I don't envy it. That being said, please don't dump this person because of it. Make them dump you over it. Uh, fight her every step of the way. It doesn't have to be malicious. Be convincing. Know these points better, uh, uh, more front and back than she does. On vaccines, there are a billion and one stories about there about how the anti-fax movement is total bullshit. Uh, when it came to Pizzagate, everything along these lines, there are a million and one stories out there from credible news sources that disprove every single one of these things. And guess what? Even though it would be totally easy to say, all right, I don't want to put up with crazy, crazy still gets to go out and vote. And crazy does not lose her reproductive rights. So uh, when she goes out and leaves you, she'll find somebody who also believes crazy shit. They will have 10 unvaccinated kids, four of whom will survive to voting age, and then vote for Donald Trump Jr. and Alex Jones in 2054 when we're all completely fucked. So please don't dump her. Do what you can to make sure that she is convinced of reality. Uh, and if you don't, if that's too much for her and she leaves you, okay, no big deal. But uh, at the very least, then you can say you tried. An extra little note for the uh, baby girl whose daddy plays with the other couple. She doesn't describe what sort of couple her daddy is playing with. So it's probably, you know, a safe bet that it's probably not another, you know, you know, daddy little couple. And it's possible that it's not that they're not into her, but it's possible that, you know, they're just a little put off by the daddy baby girl dynamic. She shouldn't necessarily regard it as a personal thing. Now, that is still a conversation she needs to have with her daddy. But I decided off with that little extra bit of reassurance that maybe it's not, you know, that they're not into her, it's just that they're just not into that sort of play. And, you know, and that's fine. You know, that's, it's just one of those things, you know, not everybody's into everything. Something to consider and, you know, might, might be something worth, you know, addressing with the daddy. Hi, I'm just calling in reference to the sweet sounding guy who called in about his herpes and his curved dick. And I just wanted to say, caller, I love a curved dick. And I think I speak for a lot of ladies. We love a little you know, something a little with a little curve to it. So don't worry too much about it. You will find the right vagina that fits your penis. And I hope you find it soon. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206 302 2064. Everyone here at the Savage Lovecast wants to wish Nicole a happy birthday, as does Damien, who asked us to wish you a happy birthday. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Kristen Mark, Ph.D., on Twitter at Kristen, with a K underscore Mark. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.